Well, good morning. Whether you're in the room or online, it is good to be back with you and to be with you in person again. Uh, thank you for all of your thoughts and prayers and well wishes over the week. Uh, my family and I are fine. We made it through, so we survived. So thank you for all of that. And uh, it's obvious, as our front row is missing, uh, we want to remember in prayer our senior high students who are on their retreat this weekend to be praying for them as they drive back today. So I don't know what your week's been like or what even your morning has been like, but uh, it's been one of those weeks for me where everything didn't fall into place and it wasn't just perfect. Anybody else have not a perfect week? All right. So as we start this morning, I want to give you a chance to just pray, to talk to your Heavenly Father about whatever's on your heart. Maybe you've got a sin you need to confess. Maybe you've got some stuff that's really distracting you from hearing what God wants to say today. And so I'm going to give you some time to just pray quietly as we begin. Uh, if you've never done this before and you're like, oh no, they're going to know that I don't know what I'm doing, just close your, just close your eyes, bow your head, and don't say anything. And you can talk in your head to God. It's just a conversation like it is with anybody else and nobody will know, all right? So let's pray, and after a couple seconds, I'll close us. God, I want to say thank you this morning. Thank you that when life doesn't go perfect, you don't leave us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that when we make mistakes, you still love us. Thanks for being a God who wants to be involved in our lives, who's watching out over us, who never leaves us alone. And God, I ask and pray that this morning as we open up your word, it would touch our hearts. It would challenge the way we view ourselves, the way we view you, the way we view our neighbor. God, it would transform our minds. That the power of your word would change the way we think. And God, that those two things together would change the way we live every day. God, we ask that you'd speak this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met someone who lives their life on a singular mission? Who they are so passionate about something that they just can't help but talk about it everywhere they go? So I love movies, and one of the movies that I love to watch is a movie called Freedom Riders. It's a little bit older. It came out in 2007. So if you haven't seen it, you can rent it on Amazon Prime. You go home. It's worth watching. But it's the real-life story of a first-year teacher named Aaron Gruel. And Aaron is a teacher in Long Beach, California in 1994. So if you know your history, that's two years after the Rodney King riots. Gang violence is at an all-time high in that area. And she walks into this school that used to be more of a high-end school, but now all of a sudden has this voluntary busing program where they bring kids from all around into the school. And what happens in this school is this elite school becomes now a school with all kinds of people in it. 
And some of the upper administration are not so excited about the new students who have arrived and the trouble that it's brought to their school. But Erin is not deterred. She decides that in her first year teaching this freshman English class, she wants nothing else than for these kids to understand that they deserve a chance too, and that there's someone who is for them, who is on their side, who is going to walk with them, who is going to support them. And in one of like the like crescendo moments of the movie, she is like yeah, frustrated because of their behavior and the things going on, and she starts talking to them, and she tells them about their gang and how their gang doesn't understand what real gangs are, and she introduces to them without them knowing it the idea, the, the idea of the Nazis and a Holocaust. And she keeps going, and she keeps going, and the kids start dialoguing a little bit, and all of a sudden, one kid in the back of, his, back of the class raises her hand. And she's like struck by this. She goes, wait, what? We're raising our hands to talk now? You haven't done that forever. And he looks at her and says, what's the Holocaust? No clue. And she realizes in that moment that these kids haven't had a chance to learn anything. But that as she brings this concept that they know of gang life and compares it to Nazi Germany, She has them study the life of Anne Frank. But in that, she goes to get the book, The Diary of Anne Frank, and the teachers won't let her have the books. But when you are singularly focused on something, you don't take no for an answer. No is not in your vocabulary. If someone tells you no, that really just means I need to try harder. And that's exactly what Erin does. She goes out and gets a second job. And her husband is like, wait, time out. You are getting a job to pay for your job. And she's like, yes. Her dad tells her, you should just quit. Just, just, you can try again next year. We'll get in a better school. Just don't worry about it. You could go do something else with your life. You're not getting paid anything for what you're doing. She goes out and buys these books for the kids. She buys journals and she tells them, if you'll write in this book, you can put it in this cabinet and I'll read it, but I won't grade it. And if you don't want me to read it, I don't even have to read it. Just keep it at your desk. I'll just ask you to flip through it. What she does in this process is she shows to kids who don't believe that there's anyone in the world who's actually for them, that she is for them. She believes that they have a chance to learn. They, have a chance, they should have a chance to grow. They should have a chance to develop. They should have a chance to learn. Church. We of all people should live our lives with singular purpose and mission. And that purpose and mission should be that those who don't, would never walk inside this building would know that the God who created them is for them. That's our mission. One of my favorite biblical scholars says this, mission is not a matter of marketing, but of the Lord's directing his people to share faithfully the grace they have experienced. If we've experienced grace, if we've experienced love, if we've experienced forgiveness, from a heavenly father who is for us. It should be our singular mission to go out 
and share that grace with everybody else. Jesus makes it pretty clear that that should be our mission in Matthew 28 when he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Speaking to his disciples, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our mission is to go, to make disciples, and in that process to never forget that we're not alone. You see, church, sharing the gospel is the all-consuming purpose of our life. Let that sink in. Sharing the gospel is the all-consuming purpose of our life. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the idea that God is for you. God wants the best for you. He shows that to us by leading us, by giving us life, and by loving us sacrificially. But church, if we've experienced this truth, we have a responsibility to share it. If we believe that God is for us, one of the byproducts of that is a desire to share the truth of the gospel in words and action with those around us so that our neighbor would know God is for them. In this series, we've simply titled Four. My hope is to set a foundation for how we will move forward together as a church. My prayer is that we will be a church, a group of Christ followers who believes that God is for us. Who lives our lives in a way that shows the world around us that God is for them. And recognizes that God wants us to be in a growing relationship with him and others. And that's the foundation of how we'll begin to do ministry as we grow in this relationship together. And you can find those three truths on lots of pages of scripture. But today we're going to dig into the book of Philippians chapter 2. If you're going to open up your Bible with me, this is the way I learned it. It's a little acronym, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then five T's. So if you open up your Bible and you get to a book, like a series of T's, you went too far, go back towards the front. Or you can pull out your phone, Philippians chapter 2 on Version Bible app. We're going to kind of explore that together. Paul says this to the church at Philippi as he writes Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. As you look back over your life, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, have you experienced encouragement from your father? When life was hard, when you felt down, 
When you felt like giving up, have you been able to gather with a group of believers and feel that encouragement to pray to your Savior and say, you know what, I feel lifted up. Maybe if in the midst of your journey there's been some down times and you have prayed or you have come to a good friend and said, hey, I need some help, and you felt comfort. Paul says if that's you, if that's who you are, then our responsibility is to take that experience of encouragement and comfort and provide it for someone else. Maybe Paul's words here could best be summed up. If you believe God is for you, then show somebody else he's for them too. One of my favorite authors and pastors, a guy by the name of Tim Keller, says it this way. He's saying, Jesus speaking here says this, I know the difference between someone who goes to church and someone who follows me. A life poured out in deeds of compassion and service, especially to the poor, is the inevitable sign that you've actually experienced my salvation. These acts don't give you life, but they prove you've met me. If we take a look inside of our lives, are we followers or are we church attenders? Are we going out in acts of kindness and goodness and love to a community that needs to see it? I think actually as you look at these first four verses in Philippians chapter 2, they might be some of the most difficult in all of Scripture to really like allow to sink into our life. Paul says, be humble. Don't be proud. Think of others as better than yourself. That is completely against our human nature, is it not? Maybe it's just my human nature. I won't speak for you. Maybe it's just mine, right? Like, it's hard to be humble. It's hard to put others' needs above my own, right? Like, I've got so many things on my checklist to get done today. I don't have time for this person, right? If we're honest, that's the way we react sometimes. That's not what Paul says. I mean, if I'm really honest, I've been here almost three months. We've almost made three months. We'll see if we make it by the end of the sermon. I got booed off stage in first service, so we'll see how it goes. It was bad. We'll get there. You'll know when it comes. But if I look at the past three months, and I'm honest, there's times I put my needs above yours or my family needs above yours, and it's only been three months. But I'm pretty sure that if we're all honest... We can look at it at least every week and see when we put what we wanted above what somebody else needed. The test I ask myself to figure this out, how am I doing at putting their needs above mine, at loving them the way Christ has loved me, about being humble, is this. If someone disagrees with my opinion, do I ask questions to better understand what they're saying? And where they're coming from, or do I immediately defend my point? Ask yourself that question. If someone comes with a different opinion than yours that you disagree with, 
How much time do we spend listening to what they have to say? Trying to understand where they're coming from, what their perspective is, how their life experience has shaped that opinion. Or are we ready to defend our point and win the argument? I think if we're putting their needs above ours and we're looking to live humbly, we have to be willing to listen. I might actually say that having the right answer and not being willing to grow is a sure sign you've missed the point of Philippians chapter 2. And I want to pause here for just a minute. Because there's enough people in this room and there's enough people viewing online that I'm sure somebody here has been negatively impacted by someone inside the church trying to win an argument. And if that's you today, if someone's words who call themselves a follower of Christ have wounded you, I'm sorry. What I want you to know is we're all here doing our best as followers of Jesus, but we're all broken people who don't get it right, who mess up all the time. And so we're sorry. And church, what we need to be reminded of are Jesus' words at the end of John chapter 13 when he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. Did you catch that? Not your ability to win an argument will prove you're my disciple. Your love. Your ability to listen. Your ability to hear. Will prove. How are we doing, Great Oaks? How are we doing at loving people? If the sharing the gospel is the all-consuming purpose of our life, we have to first grow in our vertical relationship with Jesus to make sure we have felt his love, experienced his grace and mercy in our lives, and then we can connect with other believers. And then we are equipped to go out and share that love with a world that needs to hear it. It's often like this. I think of it in terms of football, right? So in terms of, I know this is a big football weekend. Some of you have already had really bad football weekends. Because your team forgot to do what I'm about to tell you they needed to do. Sorry, Packer fans. Yeah, you guys cheered. I got booed at first service. I thought, oh man, this is my last Sunday. It was great. So the, the way football works, there's somebody up in the press box. They're watching what's going on. They call the play down to the coach. The coach tells the play to the quarterback. The quarterback circles the team around, tells them what the play is, and goes out and they execute the play. That's what's supposed to happen, right? The Packers special team forgot that last night. Bears, your team has forgotten that for a long time. I'm sorry. It's just the way it goes. I'll be an equal opportunity offender today. It's just the way it goes, all right? Church, God's the one up in the press box. He's calling the play down to each and every one of us. We come together in this place on Sunday morning at this hour to be reminded of the play. The play is go love your neighbor. Jesus says the play is really, it's either this. It's love God first, number one. Love your neighbor second, number two. Two greatest commandments. How are we doing at running the play? That's what we have to ask ourselves. 
I'd ask it this way. Do you believe God's for you? Like we talked about last week. And if you do, are you ready to let others know God is for them? If you are, Paul says this to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Why? Why would God die on a cross? Why would Jesus step out of heaven, give up all of his privileges, set aside all his rights, give up his power, and come into our world? Because the all-consuming purpose of Jesus' life was to have a relationship with us. Think about that. There's a lot of talk these days about what we have the right to do and what we have the right not to do. The God of the universe, who created it all, set aside his rights, set aside his privileges, set aside all those things to be in relationship with you and I, to make sure we knew we were loved, to come and die on a cross. So church, if we're going to let an unbelieving world know that the God who created them is for them, maybe the first thing we have to do is set aside our rights so that we can be in a relationship with them. Now I know some of you are thinking, yeah, yeah, great, Jason, sounds good. What's it actually look like lived out? Like what's this actually look like? I am so glad you asked. We're going to finish up our time today by looking at a pretty common story out of Luke chapter 10. It's a story I believe paints a clear picture of what it looks like when sharing the gospel is the all-consuming purpose of your life. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now don't miss this. I think we missed this last verse. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Now let me make sure you don't don't misinterpret this scene. Have you ever been in a situation where you know the answer? You're about to ask somebody a question, but you already know the answer to that question. Anybody else do this in your life, right? You're like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the answer is, but I, I really want to do this. So I'm going to ask somebody else and see if they'll give me a different answer than I think the answer is, right? We do this in our head all the time. That's what this guy does. He walks up and he's like, hey, Jesus, what do I do to get eternal life? Jesus is like, well, you're the scholar, you're the guy who studies the law, tell me what it says. 
And so this guy, full of pride, is more than willing to show off his answer. He shows Jesus that he knows the law well when he answers straight out of Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 and brings those two things together to say, these are what I'm supposed to do. You got to love Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus looks at him and goes, oh, great, you know it. Now go do it. Church, we know it. Now instead of sitting here, instead of gathering in just your small group and not doing anything, now go do it is what Jesus says to this leader. It's not enough to know it here. We have to let those actions feed in. But this guy's like, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. I got one more question. And it actually says in the text he wants to justify himself. So what this religious leader knows, because he's a scholar, right? He's studied all these things. There's this one little minuscule, minuscule place in the Hebrew writings that says, if somebody's a sinner, like if they've just, they're like outside of God's will, you don't have to love them. And that's why he's testing Jesus to see if Jesus will come back and say, well, who am I supposed to love? And so that's why he says, well, who is my neighbor? Who is that? Like, Jesus, do I have to love that person that this one little verse says I don't have to love? And Jesus tells this story, probably one of the most well-known parables that Jesus tells. A man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, there is more in this story than we could possibly unpack because you guys don't want to be here all afternoon. But let me highlight a few things. I want to start with the guy who gets beat up in the story. Who is this guy? Well, that depends who you are as another character in the story. You see, for the lawyer... For the religious scholar, for the guy who came to argue with Jesus, this guy's not even real. It's just a topic of discussion. He's not really in the ditch. He's just something we can talk about. Do I have to love him or do I not? Do I have to care for him or do I not? To this guy, the guy who's laying in the ditch half dead is something to talk about. To the priest, he's a problem to avoid. See, it says the priest came by and he saw him and walked by on the other side. I'm too important. I got too much going on. I got too much on my to-do list. I don't have time to deal with that. I'm just going to keep walking by. What I don't want you to miss is the next one, which I think is even more amazing, the temple assistant He walks over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Can you imagine this? Walk over and be like, oh, look, there's a guy in the ditch. I can't tell if he's breathing or not. Hmm. And he walks on. 
He's an object of curiosity. But to the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, as the text says, he walks over, he sees this guy, and he decides that this guy is worth loving. He's worth getting dirty for. He gets down in the dirt and the rocks and he picks this guy up and he probably gets blood on his clothes and dirt on his clothes and he sets him on the donkey. You see, if sharing the gospel is the all-consuming purpose of our life, we have to start seeing the value in all people, no matter who they are. There's no reason given why the Levite and the priest pass by. Probably because... No reason justifies their neglect. If as followers of Jesus, we're going to learn to share the gospel, to humbly love our neighbors, we have to not only see what's going on around us, we have to get close enough to feel compassion, and then we have to come in contact with those people who are in need. What have you seen in our neighborhood? What needs have you seen in our community? Where could you and I be good neighbors this week? What opportunities do you have in front of you to let people know that God is for them? What opportunities did you have last week? as I've thought about how we get involved and how we become good neighbors in 2022, right here in Germantown Hills, Metamora, Washington, Peoria area, however you want to name this area. I want to give you a couple thoughts that have been on my mind. I'm going to go from like the crazy thought to what maybe a few of you will do to like the more reserved thought, right? So if you're like, this guy's lost his mind, just hold on with me, there'll be a couple others. When I think about one of the biggest areas of need in our area, I can't help but think about the school systems. I can't help but think about the teachers. I can't help but think about the lack of substitutes that our kids and our teachers have to deal with every day. So this is crazy, right? I'm not saying it's not crazy. But some of you might be ready to respond to something crazy. Do you know what it takes to be a substitute in Illinois? an associate's degree, college degree. And you can call the school and say, I'd like to substitute. They'll do a background check on you and you can sub. Maybe, just maybe, loving our neighbor right here, right now means calling your local school district and saying, hey, you know what? I can't do it every day, but on Tuesday I can sub. Okay, that's a crazy one, a little less crazy. I bet every one of you knows a teacher who's exhausted. I don't care what you think about the last two years. I don't want to get into that debate. Our teachers are exhausted. What would it look like for that teacher who lives in your neighborhood, who you know, if you showed up one night this week, with dinner. Just said, hey, I know life's really hard right now. I don't know how to fix that, but I brought you a meal. 
enjoy it, take a night off and just eat. The easiest one. We all get tied in, us as parents, those of you who aren't parents, maybe you were and your kids are grown or whatever, but we get microscopic eyes, right? We think about our kid and I get it. Like somebody messes with my kid, it's not gonna be pretty. I can mess with my kid, but you can't mess with my kid. And we start to type that email. You know, the angry one. And then we send it. Anybody else ever sent an angry email that you're like, oh, probably shouldn't have sent that. All right, there's a couple honest people in the room. Thank you. I, uh, I, I stopped putting a two. I don't fill out the two line. I type the angry email, delete it, and then I send the one I need to send. But what if instead of sending that angry email, you send it, hey, I know, I know it's hard right now. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. What if being a good neighbor meant loving our teachers and loving our administration in our schools? If you're like, hey, I'm not tied to the school at all. That's really weird. We have plenty of kingdom builders we would love to help you get involved with. How many of your neighbors need a small act of love to let them know that there's a God out there who's for them? Maybe it's as simple as inviting a neighbor who would never walk in this building on a Sunday morning to come sit in your living room for life group on Tuesday night. As followers of Jesus, we can't just see the things going on around us. We have to get close enough to feel them and to get involved. We don't do this out of guilt or moral obligation. We do it because of the love and the grace and the mercy that we've experienced from our Savior. Look at the end of the story Jesus tells. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked was attacked by bandits. Jesus asked the man, the one who replied, who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do likewise. One final thing. If sharing the gospel is the all-consuming purpose of our life, we have to learn to value the message and the neighbor equally. This man couldn't even say Samaritan wouldn't admit it was the despised Samaritan who did the right thing. Great Oaks, if we're going to let an unbelieving world know that there's a God who's for them, we have to love them whether they love our message or not. Our message is important. The message that God loves you, the message that Jesus died for you, the message of salvation is important. But if somebody rejects that, we're still called to love them. And until we learn that, the world around us is never going to know that God is for them. So as we begin our journey together, my prayer for us is that we would each become more passionate about living with purpose and on mission, depending on God to do the work through the power of his Holy Spirit to help us see to help us feel, and to give us the courage to act with humility on behalf of our neighbor. To be people who passionately share the truth of the gospel and how Jesus has changed our lives. And that we would be people who act in loving ways to all the people we meet, not out of moral duty, 
but because of the depth of which we have experienced the love of God and the fact that God is for us. May our mission be to let the people around us know that God is for them. So I get it. It's easy to come in here and listen to me talk. It's also really easy. I listen to lots of preachers. Normally by the time lunch is over on Sunday, I don't remember what they said. So I don't expect you to remember what I said either. That's just, let's just be honest, right? So we talk about this thing being bad news all the time, right? Technology. I want you to pull it out for a minute. Open up a note. Maybe you got a piece of scratch paper if you don't want to pull out your phone. What are you going to do this week to let someone know God is for them? I want you to take it down. Just write it down right there. Whatever it is. Who? Maybe you got somebody in mind. Maybe a name has come to mind already and you know exactly who you need to let God know is for them. What's a commitment you want to make? Where can you look for opportunities to see others that you could let know God is for them? And then lastly, who are you going to ask to keep you accountable? Who are going to say, hey, I want to do this this week. Would you ask me on Friday if I did it? I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. Think about those questions. What are we going to do? It's not enough to sit here and talk about it. We've got to go do something. Will sharing the gospel with words and acts of service be the all-consuming passion of our lives? Will you pray with me? God, we can't do this on our own. The task is too big. It's too scary. We're afraid. God, we'll do it for the wrong reasons. But God, we ask that you would fill us, that your Holy Spirit would empower us, and that God, you would send us out. Send us out with humility. Send us out with compassion. Send us out with love. Send us out, send us out with eyes to see what's going on around us. And God, may we share the love that we've experienced. May we never forget that you're for us. And may we passionately share that you're for others as well. Give us the faith to step out and the courage to share your love with someone this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.